Today's guest is one of my most favorite people in this whole world, Vince Clark, a.k.a. Edgar Vincent Clark. Vince and I share the same wavelength on so many different dysphagia-related topics, but one thing we are both so passionate about is access to instrumentation. And not just access, but encouraging all SLPs to understand the financials behind what we do so that they can appropriately advocate for services for their patients. So Vince is someone that I think all SLPs who are treating dysphagia should aspire to be. First and foremost, patient care and doing right by the patient is paramount in his practice. Second, he understands the financials behind everything we do in diagnostics, treatment, as well as end-of-life care and knows where the research and policies are all located so that he is able to educate any DOR or administrator that may attempt to deny access to equipment or therapy materials. Vince is currently the Director of Dysphagia Diagnostics for Integra Rehab, which is part of a much larger nonprofit organization called Community Health Services that provides services to thousands of patients throughout the state of Georgia. Vince currently is in charge of their mobile fees program, so if there is anyone in the state of Georgia that is interested in having mobile fees services in their facility, get in contact with him. I'll leave his contact information in the show notes for you to get um, because they do contract with outside facilities. In this episode, we discuss the cost of instrumental assessments and how they are not only a cost savings, but can be revenue generating, and also the financials associated with therapy materials, as well as where to locate all of the regulations. And as always, you can check out the show notes for this episode at www.swallowyourpridepodcast.com. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. And I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks so much for listening, as always. I can't believe it's like the middle of October already. That's crazy. But I just wanted to talk about a few things in this episode. You'll hear a lot of dings, and you can thank our buddy Vince for not turning off notifications on his computer so you're not going crazy or hearing things or hallucinating. It's his fault, so you can yell at him for that because when I was editing this, I was like, where are these noises coming from? And it was not on my side, so... Dang it, Vince. But anyways, just wanted to let you know you're not crazy hearing those. Second of all, I at one point, Vince says something like, you can reach out to me, you can contact me. And I say, no, no more emails. And I just want to clarify at that point, I've been getting bombarded with emails, which is totally fine. I, I, I so don't mind answering questions, especially good questions from clinicians wanting to learn more. I guess <laughs> what I've gotten annoyed with and is what I was telling some of my friends last week A lot of the questions that I get, I literally can just Google and send you the link back. So I don't want to discourage you from ever asking questions, but a simple Google search sometimes will give you the answer. So by no means am I telling you not to email me. I I love hearing from you guys. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just saying if your question can be simply answered with a Google search first, try that. If not, let me know. Totally fine. I don't mind taking time out of my day to answer your questions. Just Give me a few days if I don't get back to you right away. Cut me a break there. But And third, 
thirdly, just want to let you know that the MedBridge CEU promo that we had last month was a huge success. I'm so glad so many of you are taking advantage of that awesome deal. Like I said, there's so many great researchers and, and so many awesome CEUs available on that. But if you missed it, my buddies over at the Speech Science Podcast that they helped to produce my podcast because I'm so not this technologically advanced. I don't want you to think I am. They are running the same promo for them this month. So if you still want to take advantage of the free upgrade to the premium package for the price of the basic plan, just enter promo code Speech Science. All right. So if you missed that, you've got another opportunity to catch on. So... This week's iTunes review of the week is from Sarah Beatty. I am an acute care SLP, and this is exactly what I've been looking for. Swallow Your Pride helps medical SLP clinicians stay up to date on the latest research and findings within our field clinically and professionally in a fun and entertaining way. As the sole full-time SLP at my medium-slash-large-scale hospital, it provides a sense of solidarity I seek. Not only are we helping educate on the most recent and ever-evolving research-based evidence, but establishing a network for a field that has a history of isolated clinicians practicing on their own island. Sarah, I couldn't have said that better myself. (laughs) I am glad someone finally started the podcast and opened the platform for discussions much needed. I've recommended the podcast to other practicing clinicians and hope to see more of us step up and question the status quo. Thank you, Sarah, again, totally the sole reason why I started this podcast, but, you know, I had a lot of great researchers that have been reaching out to me wanting to, you know, state their side of the case or review a paper that they have coming out, and I love that. This is why I started this podcast. This is what we need. We need to be hearing from you guys more. We need to know what's cutting edge, what's the latest breaking research out there, so I love it, so keep it coming. I love that everyone's trying to learn and get on the same page here. Okay, so let's hang on one second. So you all know how much I totally value continuing education and, well, basically the whole reason why I started this podcast anyways is because I want the good information circulating out there. I want the evidence-based practice information circulating out there. So for this month of October, I am partnering with Carolina Speech Pathology. They are a mobile fees provider and an ASHA-approved CEU provider to offer an exclusive discount for Swallow Your Pride listeners. So I chose to partner with CSP because of their focus on topics related to dysphagia. So included in this offer is the Understanding Fees course taking place on November 3rd in Fort Lauderdale, Florida and November 17th in Richmond, Virginia. So both of these courses are taught by Selena Reese. She's a board certified swallowing specialist with many years of experience performing fees. So this is not a fees training course, but basically just learning how to understand and interpret what you're seeing, which I think is great. I think we need so many more courses like this out there. And then also, do you remember our fan favorite advice from episode one? Well, he is also teaching a one-day course in Raleigh, North Carolina on December 1st titled Evidence-Based Practice in Dysphagia Rehabilitation. That sounds incredible. I could just sit and listen to Ed talk for hours. I'm sure it's going to be a great course, but Ed will describe updates in research and highlight evidence-based techniques for rehabilitating swallowing. So everyone's always asking for more and more and more treatment, more and more rehab. Here you go. Go see Ed December 1st in Raleigh. You can find more information on these courses at www.carolinafees.com. If you register during the month of October, you'll receive 25% off the CEU courses with the coupon code SYP for Swallow Your Pride. So go get your learn on, kids. Hi, Vince. Hey, Teresa. How are you? 
I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, a little tired. Long day of uh, driving all over Georgia doing fees. Probably call you the ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. I have no sympathy for you. I understand. I know you do a lot of driving yourself. I do. I do. I'm so glad you're finally doing this with me. I am too. Um, been looking forward to do it and have enjoyed listening to everybody else's podcasts as well. They've they've been excellent. You want to just wait out the crowd? No, no. I mean, we might as well tell the truth. You know, we tried to do this before, and I, <laughs> and, and, and I self destructed. So you know, we're we're trying yeah. it again. We did. We recorded for like three hours one night, and then he's like, "I don't like any of it. I didn't like any of it. I don't like any of it. Delete all of it. All of it now." I was like, "Are you kidding?" And he was like, "No, I, I want it all gone." I'm like, "All right." I just wasn't in a good place. What in a good right, place? Well, are you in a good place tonight? I am. I am in a good oh, place. Oh, yeah. that makes me so happy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Um. So my name is uh, Vince Clark. And uh, he all... goes by Edgar Vincent Clark on social media. Right on, on Facebook. That's my that's my profile pic and uh, <laughs> profile name and pic. I do fees for um, a large system in Georgia. Uh, I think we're the largest long term care provider system in Georgia. And um, I've been with them a kind of a boring career. I've been with them since 1999. I've done a little bit of everything, but I have I have pretty much had the same employer, um, other than for a, for a brief time where I worked at a hospital in in two thousand and seven. Right now, uh, my days consist of doing fees and trying to continue to grow this um, this endoscopy program that we've got going. Cool. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy my job. Yeah. Good. 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 Do you want to talk a little bit more about your program, kind of where you guys started a few years ago? And sure, so it doesn't um, just things don't just happen overnight. No, they they definitely don't. And and you know, I I think this is a great talk to have, particularly after listening, you know, to the other podcasts. And I was listening to a vets, and you know, she was talking about how do you get the things that you need in a program. And um, you know, I you know I tell people all the time that often it feels like you know speech pathology is the redheaded stepchild in any in, in any rehab program and you know you walk into a clinic and the clinic has uh, you know all the toys for pt and ot all the things that they may need um to do their job and very often we're the discipline that, that doesn't seem to to have anything and and quite honestly i blame that you know, on us as a profession, we, we have often been very poor sellers of what it is and why it is that we need the things that we need in, in therapy. That brings me to this endoscopy program that I started aggravating the powers that be within my organization about probably around 2010. And it was after an ASHA conference and I had actually went went ahead and paid for and, and got training myself through Emory's endoscopy CEU that they put on every February. And so I, I knew about it. I knew what it was. I was pretty familiar with it. And you know, I kept saying, look, this, this really appears to be the wave of the future. We have so much trouble getting modifieds. It, it wasn't so much that my organization was against modifieds. It's just that a lot of our buildings are in very rural areas where if a patient's going to get a modified, it's a big deal. I mean, it's maybe an all-day excursion for them. So when someone was getting a modifieds, there was a lot of planning that went into getting those MBSSs. 
So I said, look, you know, if we do fees, then we can do it in house. You know, maybe maybe we can actually make revenue from it or at least reduce the cost to us. And this is before I really knew what that cost was, what that revenue stream could be. So that's where around 2011, you know, my boss came back to me and said, okay, this is something we're going to explore. We're going to form a committee and we're going to really look into what this is all about and if it's something that we want to do. So when we formed this committee, you know, of course we looked at things like, you know, safety, revenue streams, how much money were we going to save? How much money were we spending on modifieds? And it became really clear to us that if we could incorporate a way to do, to do swallowing assessments in-house, that we could at least save a lot of money. I know those that have to deal with administration probably hear, you know, it costs so much to do a modified. And, um, you know, Teresa, you chime in as well. I know you deal with this on your end in your business every day. But, you know, you're looking at, depending on location, drive, what's going on in states that don't have access to mobile modified beer and swallow studies, getting somebody out to have an MBSS may cost anywhere from $800 to $1,500 or more. I had a building today that's over 2000 Yeah, Yeah, and yeah. what people don't realize is this is because of consolidated billing. And so what happened in the past was people were abusive with their billing. So you may have had a building that had all of these different vendors and, you know, maybe there was some shadiness going on between them and you had people billing out for all this DME equipment and all this therapy and all, you know, everything that could be billed for was going out through all these different hands. And the government caught wind of that. They figured that out. And so consolidated billing came into effect and they said, look, whatever you bill for has to go through this facility. So while that's not true for absolutely everything, for the most part, it is true for anything that we deal with. And for anything that's the therapy, CPT ab codes. Absolutely. And that includes speech pathology services, which modifieds fall under. So anything that is done has to run back through the facility billing-wise. And a hospital can charge anything they want for that modified barium swallow study. They do not have to ad adhere, like if it's for a Part A patient, they don't have to adhere to any particular cost based on Medicare CPT codes. They can charge whatever they want. So, you know, Medicare even said at one time, you know, you can go out and get contracts with people and negotiate your own rates. We don't care what that is because we're not going to pay you directly for it anyway. So, you know, that's an effect for fees, modified speech, whatever. And so in knowing about consolidated billing and how it works, I know we're certainly not the first people to come up with doing mobile fees. Um, I'm not sure who that was, but I know Carolina Speech has been around for a long time. They may be one of the mm -hmm. original providers that did this, mm -hmm. but you come up with just a package rate. We can come and provide this service for X number of dollars, whatever that may so, be. So let's back up. So the modified, there's the CPT code for the actual yes. modified, the yes. speech therapy code. So we're going to really get into the nitty gritty sure. of the billing here. I know that a lot of times people don't want to talk about money and it's all right. poo-pooed or whatever, but you've got to understand what you're billing for and why you're getting pushback right. from administration. So. The cost of an MBS done at the hospital. So we're not talking about mobile MBS. Don't attack me. We're talking about MBS done the at the, the hospital. The way the majority of people have to do modifieds, which is load them up in an ambulance and send them to the hospital. Yeah. Right. So there's the cost, the CPT code for the speech therapy code done at the hospital. There's also radiology charges. 
There's also barium charges because there was a major barium shortage a few years ago. And then there's also that transportation piece. So there's a lot of different, there's four different moving parts that go into the cost of a modified at the hospital. So that's why that rate is so variable. Some places say it's very low. And then, like I said, I had a place today that was over $2,000 because the transportation alone was ridiculous. And it depends who your insurer is and what they're going to reimburse anyway. There's a lot of moving parts that that you have to hit depending on your setting where they're going out from all that good stuff so so that's the other advantage that i see to what we do in fees is that we always know what the cost is going to be there's no surprises yep. Yep. you know whether i drive five hours to get to a building to do a fees or whether i am right around the block it's going to be the same cost so that is something that once a building figures out about how many they do every month they know what their costs are going to be yep. so you know we kind of nailed down that part within my organization and it was easy for us because you know we're a large organization we have around 68 buildings in Georgia and then we also have several other contracts out there that are not our own but people we just do therapy for so we probably service around 90 buildings in the state so we had a lot of you know history to go back and look and see what people were and weren't doing so we knew we could save money in that route we knew we could offer a, a service to our customers even outside of our organization. Then we got to looking at things like we brought up transport. If you've got to get somebody to the hospital, um, I even had one customer tell me that to take their patient from the third floor, which was they were rented space for an LTAC, to the second floor to do radiology was a minimum of $1,300 just for transport. Oh my God. So that was the arrangement they had with the hospital they were in. But these were long-term acute care patients, very sick patients that, you know, were going down with all the all the tubes and wires sticking out of them. So in our case, we can walk in the building and again, do that fees for 350 bucks. And the same is true, me or you need a one or, or mobile modified providers, but mm-hmm. the same is true for mobile modifieds. You know, they offer a distinct advantage by being able to come to the building. Yes. And I was talking with a mobile MBS provider yesterday. So yes, we are going to get a mobile MBS provider on the podcast. I'm not, this is not just mobile fees alone. So right. And, and I, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't want it to be that way either. I don't want anybody yeah. to um, ever think that, you know, I'm hard selling fees. I love what I do, but I'm a modified provider too. I wish I could go to a hospital when I needed to go to one and do my own. Yeah. Rah, rah, modifieds. Yeah. You know. Go team. I mean, it takes, it takes the whole team. Modifieds. Go team. We looked at patient comfort. You know, you don't have to get up out of your bed, out of your room, leave the building. And we looked at safety. And then for us in our environment, fees is an exceptionally safe test. You know, there's tons and tons and tons of data out there that maybe we can share. I think you may have it on your side anyway. Yeah, I was just talking with um, Dr. Brodsky yesterday, actually, because I had to do a presentation to a bunch of medical directors yesterday, and there was a 0.03% chance. Right. You you have to round up to make it to 1%. Yeah. Of, of anything that could possibly happen, and that's typically a slight nosebleed yeah. when it happens. Yep. Yeah. So, and that, and that's thousands and thousands and thousands of tests. Yep. But anyway, it has worked out very well for us to do our own swallow testing internally, and then it worked out for us in ways that we didn't even anticipate. Because one of the things we found, and I know we're going to talk about research later on, but you know, one of the things we found is that. SLPs that were not using visualizations on a regular basis, whether that was a modified or a fees, they were over-diagnosing and over-treating their patients. And what do I mean by that? Okay, a patient coughs, I'm so afraid they're going to get pneumonia, I'm going to put them on thickened liquids. 
And just to be really safe, let's just go ahead and put them on, you know, pudding thick to make sure that they're, you know, absolutely safe. Yes. So I would come into buildings where we'd have 100 people in the building and 20 of those people would be on thickened liquids of some kind. And so we were able to sit there and systematically work through and get those people off of thickened liquids. So some of the research and data that we collected, because, you know, we did have access to cost and and what things cost us directly as a system was for us, each one of those little containers of pre-thickened liquids cost around 36 cents. So that was our discounted rate from buying a huge volume from our suppliers. So for anybody to go and look at what a cost is in their own building, they're going to have to know what that base rate is for those small containers. And everybody's is going to be a little different depending on what your contract is. You know, a person at home buying this stuff can spend 70, 80 cents, 90 cents just to drink four ounces of water. Right. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Right. So we were able to figure out that to keep someone hydrated, to get the minimum that our RDs said that they needed would cost the facility around $1,200 a year, somewhere between twelve dollars and $1,300. So those were real numbers that we were able to take to administrators, kitchen managers, the leadership team. Well, that's $1,200 for the minimum amount. That's the minimum amount. That's if they just yeah. get what, that's three containers per meal, two to three containers throughout the day. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know that, that's if they don't splurge and really want to drink. <laughs> yeah. Here's your thimble of nectar thick. If they just really aren't thirsty that day and don't drink a gallon of orange juice, you know, that's what it's going to cost them. Um, And and we did a base rate. We did what, you know, the the registered dietitian said a a person would need to stay hydrated. And in a lot of the buildings where we're at, they're offered freely throughout the day. We have carts up and down the hall, you know, thick and liquids in the diet kitchens, you know, the whole deal. So Well, then you think about it, too, and it's like the little cartons, they open a corner of it, they take one sip, and oh, like yeah. all the stuff tastes like, and then they don't even finish the whole thing. So the amount of waste. And they put it down. They typically like the milks of the orange juices. Those go like wildfire. Yeah. The lemon-flavored water is, I find very few people yeah. that, that really, truly like that. So anyway, there was that cost that was eliminated. And then in buildings where, because we have started reintroducing respiratory therapy into a lot of our larger facilities, into what we call our park buildings, where there's a lot of rehab going on. Respiratory has re-entered those buildings where for a long time, no one was used to seeing respiratory therapy in long-term care. That was based on a cost decision as well, that we think we can save money by treating you know, respiratory issues in-house more aggressively. So I started working pretty close with a lot of the respiratory therapists. And once they saw, you know, what I could do, because I always like to point out, you know, what I do is, yes, I'm assessing swallowing, but swallowing and breathing, they're, they're flip sides of the same coin. So, you know, I'm the person that can help them look at the upper airway and upper airway functioning. You know, I very much stay in my lane. I do swallowing. I'm, I'm not there to play pulmonologist by any by any means. But, you know, it's really nice that I can go into these buildings and make rounds with a nurse practitioner and a respiratory therapist and myself. And we're making really great decisions about these patients. Yeah, I think all the buildings that I have respiratory therapists in, those are some of the biggest advocates for fees. Absolutely. And I've got great relationships with every single respiratory therapist I work with. You know, then you start looking at what are you saving in that aspect. If you're getting right. people on the right dots, if you're picking out the right interventions. I saw there was a discussion online in one of the groups tonight about 
about a doctor putting somebody on breathing treatments. Okay, well, that's great, but why don't we eliminate aspiration if that's the problem? Right. So, you know, let's let's get visualizations going on a regular basis. And I have not had any pushback once we got started. Let's see, probably in a couple of years, I haven't had any questions at all. There were a lot of questions yeah. that first year. Uh, we were able to step up and I was able to meet with administrators and say, look, this is what happened with your patient. And these were the positive outcomes and, and this is how we saved you money. I haven't had I haven't had any questions from anybody in so long. I, I don't even worry about it anymore because they get it now. And um, yeah, it's been yeah. such a positive thing. And, and that's what I want to happen for all these people that have so much trouble online is to be able to learn to speak the financial language of what we do. Absolutely. Because really what we're doing ultimately isn't a cost. It's a benefit in the long run. That's what we're finding. So when we do dysphagia correctly, you know, we are saving those buildings money in the long run. I want to kind of break it down even more. So what we were talking about with the different costs before with, sure. you know, there's the transportation costs, there's the barium, there's radiology, there's the speech therapy, CPT code. So that's right. if a patient right, yeah. is a part A patient, right? So let's talk about a lot of times you'll hear the facility, you'll hear the administrator say, well, they're a part A patient. We're not going to pay for it because the facility is 100% responsible for paying for it. If a facility takes a patient in as part of the bundle of the payments that they're getting, if they're a Medicare provider, they have promised to provide the testing necessary in that fine print to get a patient better, to get them what they need as ordered. Yeah, I'll actually post that part of Medicare in the notes too, so. Right. So it is a matter of perspective. It is not that they don't get further reimbursement. It is that the reimbursement for that testing is already built into the system. I know that's often hard to convince somebody of, and maybe we did get the crap end of the stick on that as far as how it was developed. But that's the system that we work in. And it's the same for for other types of testing as well. And it's also the same if you want to get a chest x-ray done. Right, right. So if your patient has... Or that leg re-x-rayed or whatever. Yeah. That's why people have mobile x-ray services that come in their building. And nobody gives them a, a hard time about that. We just have to learn how to talk that talk and how to find... You know, I say finding advanced practitioner advocates for us whether it's NPs or PAs or the physician themselves, if you can get them on board, it's cake, you know, yep. from that point on. But yes, the payment for the things that we need are a part of the system. And, you know, PPS and this system that we're transitioning to, which is going to be even crazier for people to figure out, it's backlash from people being abusive to the system. So Medicare has moved from a pay-for-service system where everything you did, there was a separate payment to a PPS system where the payments are becoming more bundled and based on amount of care. And now we're moving to a system that's going to kick in next year. I believe it's in October is when it's scheduled to start, where we're going to start to get paid for quality. But I want to back up. You wanted to talk about Part B services. Yep, yep. I don't know how long Part B, as we know it, is going to continue to be around. I know they're looking to change that to a PPS-type system as well. But right now it is what it is. And so... There's a flat rate that we get reimbursed for doing a fees or a modified or whatever. The way it is supposed to work is if you send a patient out for a modified in their Part B, billing is supposed to be cycled back through the SNF. It's still supposed to be consolidated billing for the speech part. 
the physician's part is billed directly out of the hospital. And this is where everybody gets so confused. And there are literally hospitals out there that I know that don't understand the system and never submit the bill or send the bill to the SNF. If your facility is saying we don't get a bill for modifieds, they very well might not because the hospital's not billing them for it. But Right. But they are supposed to. Yeah. And, you know, there's some that very much get it. And so every time a person goes out, the facility has to sign a I agree to pay for this patient form type of thing that goes on in some places. But when we do these, and again, I can't speak to modified barium swallow studies. Don't know exactly how they're doing theirs. You may have more insight into that. We can't completely cover the cost, but it ends up costing between $100 and $125 is what's left for the facility to pay. By the time you consider, you know, they're not having to send out a CNA, they're not having to arrange uh, transportation and all this other stuff. It really is a wash. It's still a pop. You're not losing productivity minutes. It's still a positive for the facility. So you kind of have to look beyond just what that final bottom number is because there's a lot of soft costs that are hidden in providing that care. Gotta see the forest among the trees. And like I say, I I don't think it's a problem that we're all going to have to worry about too much longer because I think even how Part Bs get paid, I think it's all going to totally change and cycle over to this quality payment system that we're moving towards now. You know, I want to echo some of what Yvette said before. You know, we have to be our own advocates. We have to understand what and how it is that we're advocating for things. Let me ask you, because I know somebody was asking, like, they put in an order for, they wanted an EMST... Right. Uh, 150 or right. whatever that device is called and their boss immediately turned it down and said it's not a medicare right and, and it's not yeah. it is a it is it is a piece of equipment that right now is not considered durable medical equipment and if it is purchased and i don't want to speak to outpatient purchasing rules because i'm not very familiar with that that's not my whatever i know for us in a skilled nursing facility that we would just buy it for them and that would be used in treatment i think those devices cost somewhere between 40 and 50 bucks in their single use i don't think we need to try to make those multiple use devices we don't want to be sucking on the same thing i think they do have like filters though oh yeah i think the snorkel filter i still i just <laughs> you know i'm, I'm sorry i, I, I I won't share my EMSD with you then. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Those are things that, you know, it's like PT or OT buying Dyson or buying certain unreimbursable things that they need. Was that Dyson? Dyson, you know, the sticky stuff. Okay. Yeah, your accent. I didn't catch that. I'm sorry. But there are things that they buy that they're not going to get reimbursed for that are just supplies. And we typically don't have those yeah. supplies like they do. And we should. So what what would you say if I asked my administrator, I said that I needed this device and they said no. What do I come back with? I would say I could not do therapy with that patient if I could not do appropriate therapy without that device. I would look at how much it costs per treatment that we get reimbursed to do this service. And I believe that we get reimbursed probably 80, this is not exactly right, 86 bucks a treatment. I was going to say 88, so yeah, somewhere around there. Something like that, minus 20% copay. So you want to take that number and say, look, we can either break even or make money after I do this many number of treatments. And for this treatment to be effective, I need to see this patient X number of times. So it's essentially like a half a treatment is the cost of it. Yeah. 
you have to look at the copay too. So, you know, you're not going to lose money on this. You're not just throwing this out the window and your patient is not going to need a nebulizer treatment that you're going to have to pay for. And I'm going to reduce them getting pneumonia. So you're not going to have to pay for all those antibiotics. Yeah. You got to look at the big picture and they have to learn to look at the big picture as well. The three chest x-rays that you know are inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. When you can go back and you can look and you can say, hey, give me leeway on one patient, you know, pick out one good patient and say, let's track everything that has went on and that's going on with this one patient. And let me show you that what I can do as an SLP makes a difference. That's the flip side of all this stuff too, about bringing visualizations into your building and using evidence-based practice. You know, I hear all the time from therapists, well, I just feel like the doctor, the doctor doesn't respect me. But when you approach them and you can never give them a concrete answer about anything, I wouldn't respect you either. When you say, I think they need this, or maybe they're going to aspirate, or, oh my goodness, you know, I think that they need to be put on pudding. And the physician's looking at you for answers and you can't give them any, that's where the lack of respect comes from. But when you can say, hey, Dr. Leader said in XYZ paper from 2000 and whatever, this is what we need to do with this patient. A physician's going to hear that because that's the language they're used to talking. Right. And I think people get defensive because they're like, they just want to know what diet I can put them on. And that's what we've done for years. You know, how often do you say, oh, well, they have, you know, minimal epiglottic inversion, poor airway protection. Is that what you're telling the doctor? Or are you saying, I think they need putting thick liquids? I had a conversation today with a fairly new grad SLP, you know, and she was telling me, she said, I want help with my modified barium swallow study. And she drew a perfectly great visual picture of everything the bolus did during the modified. But I had absolutely no idea what the anatomy or physiology looked like. And I said, you know, you've got to turn that thinking into anatomy and physiology so you can talk the same language as your physicians. It's just something that we have got to get better at. And we have so much to offer patients. I mean, when I walk in a trach and vent facility or I walk in a a high acuity facility or an LTAC, speech pathology should be number one, respiratory and speech pathology. Yeah about helping getting those people stable so PT and OT can do their job. So we are speech language pathologists. Right, right. So a pathologist means that you can diagnose dysphagia. Yes, absolutely. I was talking to someone last week and she was saying that her boss was telling her she could not diagnose dysphagia because PTs and OTs cannot diagnose. Right, that's one of the other disservices that's been done all of us as not just speech pathologists, but PT, OTs. We are all distinct Mm -hmm. professions. Mm -hmm. And speech pathology, if you'll actually look at the ASHA statements online, we are an autonomous profession. Mm -hmm. Pull your state guidelines. You have to abide by those state guidelines. That's what you have to follow. And nowhere in those state guidelines does it say that I work for a physician. You know, when I bill Medicare, when I bill insurances that require physician involvement, that is where that piece comes into effect. And I love working with other disciplines. I think interdisciplinary care is the way to go. So I'm certainly, certainly not trying to badmouth anybody, but I want people to know what they should be capable of as SLPs, which is to function autonomously. Right. Right. A lot of times. And to know when to ask questions when they should, Yeah. too. So you want to talk about my favorite research paper? Okay, so let's back up. So you said you kept finding that in your facilities that people were over-treating, you know, and I think that later article says 
over tree 70% of the time, something ridiculous. So you said something to me a few weeks ago that of the fees that you did, the amount of laryngeal pathologies or GI bleeds that you guys were able to discover was some drastic... Well, we had a really eye-opening month for us, and I do fees with a super capable person. She's, She's a great SLP that you know, Nicole Lorenz. She kind of covers part of the North Georgia area. And now we actually have a third person that we've hired on since we started. So her name is Julie Griffith and she covers the other half of the North side of the state. But Nicole had a month where between us, we found five instances where we had an acute issue with a patient and they had to be immediately sent to a hospital or set up to be assessed by a physician. And it just blew our minds because we're thinking, you know, what would have happened to these people otherwise? What if right. what if our buildings were not so encouraging to instrumentals and following best practices? Which is what right. we're talking about. It's following best right. practices. So that's really why you just, you cannot tell what a cough is. I mean, a cough can be anything from a side effect right. of lisinopril to a laryngeal malignancy. Or in this case, um, that particular month, we found three instances of pathologies that I think one turned out to be cancer or two were benign, yeah. but they were definitely things that shouldn't be there. Yeah. And then Nicole found a couple of GI bleeds yeah. that were evidenced by blood coming back up to the UES yeah. as she was doing the these. <laughs> Think about that, everybody, that when you get a referral, Miss So-and-so is coughing more. Hmm, maybe she's bleeding in her airway. Right. Maybe she doesn't need nectar-thick liquids. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the nectar will soak up the bleeding. Right. You can do all the diet trials you want, <laughs> and you're not going to stop that hemorrhage. You know, right. I mean, this is not stuff that a bunch of mean SLPs got together and made up and decided that everybody needed to do imaging. There's a best practices reason why. Yeah. And, you know, I often tell new grads, do you really want to sit around the table during a deposition and say, I didn't ask for that modified because the administrator's always mean to me about it. I've heard that excuse before. Yeah. Or I, I get told no, so I just stop asking. Ask every time. Yeah. Aggravate the crap out of them. Write it in your notes. Even if you get denied, you're the professional. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't imagine a nurse practitioner or a doctor coming in and being told, no, they can't have that heart medicine because it costs too much money and then wilting like a flower and not documenting that. I mean, right. it's what we should do. Right. It's what we should do too. We, you know, we're not there to hang anybody right. by any means. Right. It's not about practicing defensively, but we should document our recommendations. Right, and document that it's best practice. Right. And let them argue that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's see, is there anything else on the financial end of things? Well, there's so much, you know, and if anybody has any specific questions about that, if they email you later, we can no, always... please stop emailing. <laughs> we, can, we can address that. No. Oh. <laughs> we, can, we can address some of that. Um, but I think the big picture here is that therapy in general, whether it's PTO to your speech, it's not just about the money that can be generated from the service. It's the money that can be saved by normalizing people and having them as functional and as safe as possible. Yeah, and I think maybe like in the last year or two, we really started digging more into the cost of rehospitalizations. Right. And these facilities, that's what you don't want. You do not want a rehospitalization. Yeah. So they can cost anywhere. I think the latest paper I read was a rehospitalization for aspiration pneumonia costs a facility about $30,000. Right, if it's pinned on them. So if you, you know, think of the cost of 
of a modified or a mobile fees? So, you know, what, one of the things that I'm talking to my buildings about is if you have a patient that's coming to you and they've got in their documentation or their history dysphagia or respiratory status and it doesn't seem resolved, has that hospital done their job? Have they provided the modified that they should provide? Have they provided the fees that they should provide? Because as this payment system changes, it's going to be driven from that acute level. Just had this conversation today with one of the vice presidents in my company. You know, they're going to set the diagnoses that we treat by all throughout the system and this new bundled payment, whatever it's going to be. You know, we're going to have to be on board for this stuff. We don't know what that's going to look like yet, mm -hmm. honestly. We're all trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But it is important. It's important at every level that we're following best practices and that we have have those in place. I don't want to say to cover ourselves. It's not about covering ourselves. It's about doing what's best for the patient and being right. rewarded financially for that. Right. Um, that's what the system is going to look like. I like can't stand when I hear the term, oh, that patient's a frequent flyer. Right, yeah. Like, oh, they've been back. They've been in the hospital. Now they're back again. Right. They exhausted all their Part A days. Now they're Part B. Right. They're a frequent flyer. Well, what the hell is going on? Yeah, they're a frequent the, flyer that you've spent 100 days treating them for dysphagia therapy and you upgraded them from pudding thick to honey thick. Like what the hell did you do for a hundred days? What else is going on? Yeah. You know, and I get that some people are chronically ill and chronically sick, but you know, there comes a point where you start looking at these people that are constantly getting modifieds and fees. Maybe we're treating them the wrong way or maybe treatment's not the answer at all. Mm -hmm. We just have to become more skilled in medical, being medical professionals right. and not just looking at just swallowing. Right. You know, right. looking at the whole person. Right. Very good point. That's right. We treat the whole person. Actually, I had a really great experience today. There's a guy I actually do a presentation about him that 10 years ago, he was told by a neurologist and a neurosurgeon and a consulting GI that he would never eat again to go home and do his tube feedings and enjoy just being alive. He was, he was 70 years old at the time. And he's the person that I attribute to changing how I think about what we can do as swallowing therapists. And he found me doing sporadic outpatient at the local hospital that is now closed. And uh, we got him back eating again. We found a different GI doctor and identified this problem, which they had not done and got it fixed and did the right therapy. And uh, this guy's 80 years old as of today, and he's eating birthday cake. Aww. So every once in a while, they stay in touch with me and say, just wanted to let you know, you know, daddy's alive because of you. Aww. No matter what all the money talk is that we talk about, yeah. that's what it boils down to. We do actually really care about our patients. We do. I don't want you guys to think Vince and I are like these money-hungry. We're not money-hungry vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really do yeah. care about what I do. And but I also get that we can care about what we do and also prove that it makes financial sense. Yeah, absolutely. I know that Dr. Ianessa Humbert loves to use the example of PT all the time, but it's because we can see what PTs do so much easier than we often can see what we do. And it makes perfect sense that we don't right. want people falling down and busting their heads open all the time. Sometimes figuring out aspiration and swallowing disorders is not, that cut and dry and not that easy to see but it's the same premise we don't want people being treated for pneumonia over and over and over again and right, we don't right. want people eating stuff they don't need to eat or spending money on thick and liquids they don't have to have we're doing this 
for a reason, and the patient is the main reason, but we also are a discipline that can offer a great cost-benefit to whatever setting we're in. Okay, so let's go back and talk about your 80-year-old patient eating cake. Sure. Do you remember what exercises you did with him? Yes, he had a UES dysfunction. And I'm asking this because I've literally gotten so many emails from people that are like, what are these exercises that you're talking about? Are they top secret exercises? And I'm like, no, we just, we're on like episode seven, people. Like, give me a minute to catch up here and, and cover. <laughs> this was pre-Chin Talk Against Resistance days. So we were doing the okay. Shakir exercises with him. Okay. And he yeah. had UES dysfunction that was okay. completely missed during his hospital stay. They actually woke this guy up from his surgery after being intubated. I mean, dude was 70. Woke him up post-surgery from, I can't remember what his surgery was, and gave him water and fed him immediately. And the guy aspirated, had respiratory distress, ended up vented for about a month. Oh, yeah. uh, came off the vent, had lost a significant amount of weight. Oh, my God. And when I showed him, he was so debilitated that he could not even hardly walk. He could not get from his car using a wheelchair to the outpatient center without help. He was that debilitated. And so when he showed up, he had been being cared for at home by his yeah. wife, who didn't like getting up in the middle of the night. So she had decided to cut out one of his feedings so she didn't have to wake up. So, you know, I mean, these are, you know, these were not medical people. They weren't thinking stuff through. So oh. what's one can of food, you know? And so he, yeah, he had continued yeah. to lose weight. He had lost muscle mass. And yeah. not only did I get him involved with speech, but I recommended he started PT and OT as well. So he started PT and OT to get reconditioned. I got him a consult with the RD. I got him a reconsult with a GI doctor and told them exactly what I had found on a modified, which was that he had a UES dysfunction of some kind. And, you know, we often talk about, oh, you've got to get, and you do. I know there's the best practices for modifieds as well. I was in a setting where, you know, we often wondered how much radiation we were getting from the machinery. It was so old. You know, we all kind of joked about that, but really meant it yeah. at the same time. And I don't think I got but like eight frames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah. to actually see what was going on with this guy. And um, nowhere near what, you know, is recommended. But we were able to figure out what we thought his problem was yeah. and get him to the appropriate people. And that's when I had to make myself do research to figure out, hey, what do I need to do to complement this GI doc? So, you know, we did Shakir. Yeah. I want to say that I used Faringa size with him. I'm thinking it was 10 years ago that I did that. But we basically did things that would help open up UES. So the Shakir helps to open the UES. That's the theory behind the Shakir. And now we also have the chin tuck against resistance. And then Faringo size is Dr. Carnaby's program. And it involves a lot of different exercises. It's designed for head and neck cancer patients. But the thought process behind it is that you are maintaining muscle function range of motion in a patient so that they don't debilitate. Whenever I hear like Faringo size, I think of like Jane Fonda and her leotard and absolutely. <laughs> Think of like leg warmers and I'm pretty sure those are the things that I used <laughs> at that time. Gotcha. In, in conjunction with getting him involved with the other disciplines. Yeah. Because again, we treat the whole person and I needed a way to help him, you know, rebulk all this muscle he had lost. Yeah. It wasn't just about swallowing. Yeah. So, you know, we started putting the weight back on him and 
got him that GI consult and he's still going today. Yeah, that's great. And never had to go back for follow-up speech in 10 years. Awesome. Gosh, you're amazing. <laughs> I just don't tell anybody about the ones that fail. <laughs> that's the one story in 10 years. <laughs> one patient, let me tell you about them over and over and over. There again. was this one patient, this one time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm kind of like you now. It's it's hard for me to believe, but oh for the past four years, I've done very little treatment. It's mainly been diagnostic. I know. People ask me treatment questions all the time, and I'm like, dude, I mean, I try to keep up stuff. Yeah, I try to be very... We're all trying. We're all not wizards and everything. I'm not even going to pretend to be. Well, I try to remember that I used to get these modified barium swallow study reports from this one particular hospital, and I would look at them and think, do you even look at the same patient that I saw? Because they would be all these, like, do jumping jacks, and the patient would be debilitated and curled up in a fetal <laughs> position on the bed. You know, and I'm thinking, these are great exercises you've recommended, but just not for this particular patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for George. So I have always tried to remember that I've got to be able to, whether this person is going back out for home health, you know, whether they're going to be seen in the facility or whatever their level is, is that whatever I recommend, they've got to actually be able to right. do. I know like you do, I try this stuff right. before we actually recommend right. it so we can see that it right. works for that particular patient. Agreed. Mm -hmm. And that sums all that stuff up. If you say so, you're the boss. It's your podcast. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's your podcast. You might Somehow, somehow. Right. All right. Vince, what is the paper or research article that has had the most meaning has been a game changer in your practice? You know, you bring it up all the time and I bring it up all the time, but the particular piece of research that I actually included in a folder that I give out, it's an editorial from Disfate. It's called The Bedside Swallowing Evaluation When Endoscopy is an Option. What would you choose? You know, I post it online all the time too. and Every day. Every day. I mean, every, every chance <laughs> I get. And I have to give Dr. Eric Blicker credit for this because he's, yes. he's the first person that posted it. And, you know, there's certain things that happen to you, certain people you meet, certain papers you read where you go, aha, okay, that makes so much sense. And this editorial makes so much sense. You know, it's written by a physician, Dr. Aviv, and it's written about two separate papers from Dr. Leader, and it's just four or five paragraphs, I think, basically that say, this is the data we've got. And the point is that when we don't choose to use visualizations, we vastly overtreat our patients. That's what I take away from this. And that is really where, going back to the financial part, of what we do. Mm -hmm. That is where I started building my case that, hey, I'm going to save you so much money doing fees because we're not going to be doing a bunch of treatment and doing things to people that they don't need. And that's basically what this paper says, is that when you use visualizations, you, you eliminate that. Then on the flip side, we also catch that false negative where we miss really severe events like those pathologies I was telling you about or those bleeds that can then turn into, mm -hmm. I don't care how you look at it, a modified's a lot cheaper than an ICU stay. And that's what some of our patients can turn into really, really quick. Yep. You know, I recommend everybody read it, give it out to the physicians yep. in the building, tell them that it says endoscopy at the top, but it applies to modifieds as well. We're looking at using visualizations to appropriately define and treat our patients. And then I know it's talked a lot about online. I've actually got two here. It's also leader. Everybody should get a copy of the Yale Swallow Protocol. 
And that is... I discussed that in episode five with Matt Ward, too. Right. And that is Deborah Souter and Stephen Leader. And to understand why you would use that is important. Because my personal opinion is that it's not that I don't think we should do clinical swallowing assessments or that they are unneeded. I personally think we do them in the wrong order. I think that our... I think that we should identify the problem, you know, with a screen. Okay, we know we've got an issue here. All right, let's define that problem with an instrumental, with a visualization. And then we can take our bedside to further expand on what other issues go along with that patient. And, you know, there's such a behavioral component to dysphagia. And so we need to see what else is going on beyond just the instrumentation. So I think when you read, it's a short little book that you can use to turn into a program in your hospital or, or whatever. When you read that and you understand the research and the data they collected and why they did it and what they found, then it makes perfect sense. I think just having this realization that, you know, we say it all the time, but we don't have x-ray eyes, that, you know, we, we need to be able to put a finger on what the true problem is before we treat. It just makes such a huge difference. And going back to money saves us money in the long run. Right. That's why we have these best practices in place. Right. And that's why when people get online and argue about, you know, my administrator wants me to go do an avow first and treat them for a couple of weeks, you've wasted some, probably wasted somebody's money because you right. don't even know what right. you're treating. Let's go back and think of your one case that you treated properly, your, your 80-year-old man. You know, <laughs> yeah. No, but he's, a, he's that, it's, it's not that he's my only success story. It's just that he's one that really changed the course of how I treat patients. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> but so seriously, let's go back to him. So say we did, you never did a modified on him, right? So you just did your... He'd be dead now yeah yeah so so say you just did your regular he would have died and that's the truth yeah yeah so you're gonna just do your little clinical bedside and say oh this guy yeah he's at high risk of aspiration let's put him on yeah. some honey thick liquid okay so he's got this severe ues dysfunction and you're gonna pour thickened liquids down that he wouldn't eat or drink anyway i had to convince him to eat or drink again yeah because he had already went through yeah. the respiratory failure and he was completely cognitive, you know. So this was a guy yeah. that when I got him, he wouldn't even eat. You know, I, I hate when they always say this patient had to learn how to swallow again. You know, we know it's not a yeah. like they're studying up to swallow or anything. But this guy pretty much yeah. literally had to learn how to eat again because he was ter he was terrified yeah. of the yeah. process. Well, that's a, I know you guys were laughing at my picture that was a video yesterday that I posted that was like horrible technology <laughs> failed. But that was that same yeah. guy. I ended up doing four right. fees on him. He literally, I mean, he had an absent yeah. swallow the yeah. first time I saw him. I mean, he literally had to relearn right. how to swallow. Right. Yeah, so I mean, I just think of your, you know, little 80-year-old man there. I mean, you could, without an instrumental, you have no idea that he had UES dysfunction. You'd just be doing tongue-wagging exercises Absolutely. up the wazoo, you know, clogging him up even more with honey-thick liquids. Like, what the hell are we even doing? You know, we're talking about instrumentals and, you know, the cost-effectiveness of instrumentals, but it's not just instrumentals. It's understanding the role of hospice, the role of when palliative care is more appropriate yep. and treatment. I mean, those were some of my favorite cases over the year. You know, knowing how to talk with the family and say, is the benefit of us trying to treat your mother or father, is it worth it anymore? Yeah. So, and often, you know, I know that we're not necessarily supposed to be the first discipline to discuss hospice or palliative care. But what I have found is that because we're so 
intricately tied to eating and food that we often yep. are. Did you listen to Dan's podcast? Yes, I've listened to them all. Oh, I'm so happy. I have. But Dan's, I thought, was one of my most favorite, too, just because I think there's right. a lot of eye-opening things in that, a lot of things that people don't think of. That is a cost issue as well. I mean, we spend the majority of the cost of our health care um, in the last two years of our lives. It's a pretty wild statistic. All kinds of data on that. Yeah. I can speak to that personally. My dad developed and, and passed away from cancer within a one-year and eight-month period, and his hospital bill was $350,000. Yeah. He had never, other than having a cold or going to stop by an urgent care clinic, he never generated medical bills his entire life. Yeah. And I take that back. He did have a, he did have a surgery. When I was like 25, he had a uh, cervical fusion yeah. done. So, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you know, he was not a consumer of health care, yeah. really, yeah. until until that happened. And I saw it firsthand. I saw, let's try this treatment, let's try this treatment, let's try this treatment. And there comes a point where you have to say, is it really worth it right. anymore? Do we want to waste these last days, weeks, months, right. whatever it may be, trying something else? Can you speak to the cost of doing a modified or a fees with someone that is on palliative care or on hospice? Because I know a lot of times people will say, well, they're on hospice. We can't do a, a swallow study. Again, you know, don't take my word for it. You can easily reference the hospice rules and regulations on the CMS website. But there are no rules against us providing therapy, whether it's PT, OT, or speech, or providing appropriate testing. As a matter of fact, the rules say that they should receive a normal course of treatment. Mm -hmm. So if you get a referral, and I've done several. I did a hospice guy yesterday. Yeah. I've done several fees on hospice patients. Yeah. The point is to maximize quality of life. Hospice is not a one-size-fit-all definition. Hospice can mean my dad was on hospice for a week. Some people are on hospice for six months. Some people are discharged from hospice. Some, some patients get on hospice only because the hospice provider got to them before the rehab provider got to them. We have to make sure that we keep that in mind, too, that people are out there marketing their services. Yeah. Yes, there is no reason that someone that has a swallowing dysfunction, of course, they're cognitively with it. They're awake. You know, those normal things shouldn't benefit from testing. And if we can't make determinations about swallowing for people that aren't on hospice, there's nothing about being on hospice that makes it magically happen that we can't. Yeah. So if we want to make accurate decisions about these people, then, you know, we, we need to be able to provide testing as needed. Yeah. It's just that simple. It's just simple. If I get a request to consult, I'm giving them my best consultation advice. I'm not watering it down because I'm afraid hospice doesn't want to pay for it. Right. That's not my problem. Right. And once I typically talk with the hospice nurse about it, I've had very few that have said, you know, absolutely not, we're not going to do this. Sometimes I think people are even afraid to have the conversation or don't understand stand the point yeah, of yeah. it. But, you know, PT should be provided as needed. OT should be provided as needed. What if someone is having contractures as they're in the dying process and it's a painful experience? You know, maybe they need a hand brace to alleviate that. Maybe they need PT to consult on a wound so that they're not suffering. Right. You know, all those things, therapy has a place in that. They make pretty good money off of hospice, yeah. is my understanding. That's not my realm, so I can't speak to it exactly. They're not going to go broke doing a modified. Yeah, and you can do it. That's really just the bottom line I wanted to get to. 
and you can do it. There are no rules against that. People just make these blanket statements that, well, they're on hospice, so we can't do anything with them. That's not the point. That's a money cruncher statement. Yeah. That's somebody looking at the bottom line. <laughs> well, thanks for having oh, me. Well, thanks so much for doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. So I know you guys are always asking me what like the latest and greatest courses are as far as treatment. And I will totally admit, since I do diagnostics all day, that sometimes I fall behind on keeping up with the latest treatment CEUs. And I'd always heard that eSTEM was, you know, you know, it's so effective for PTs and OTs. You see them using it all the time, but there's definitely a lot of controversy with it as far as speech pathologists using it to rehab the swallow. So Believe me, I've been the ultimate skeptic on Easton for a while now, but uh, my buddies Rick and Russ from AmpCare, uh, they swindled me into taking their online CEU course a few months back, and I'm not going to lie, you guys, it was so good. Like, I was totally hooked. And so Rick is a fellow SLP, just like the rest of us. Um, but Russ is a physical therapist with an extensive knowledge, e-STEM, that he's used as a modality throughout his entire PT career. So, like I said, I took this course a while back uh, when I was actually studying for my board certification exam. Their CEU course is considered an advanced course. So for anyone that needs advanced CEUs, if you're working towards your BCS, uh, hop on this course. But anyways... The entire first half of the course is like all about basic muscle physiology, the makeup of the actual swallowing muscle fibers, a killer review of the cranial nerves, probably like the most elaborate review that I've had since grad school. And I'm pretty sure I didn't pay this close attention in grad school to the anatomy and physiology. But like I said, I was totally hooked on this course. Um, and you guys know I keep it real. I don't sugarcoat things here. So Another thing that I just super appreciated about this course is they go into detail about the populations that are best served with this treatment and the populations that should not undergo e-STEM. So it's not a one-size-fits-all treatment, but it has shown some awesome outcomes as far as improving the swallow. And in their course, they also discuss why they use the electrode size and shape that they do, the various parameters on the unit, which it does vary from other Easton manufacturers, so that's important to note. So, since Rick and Russ are super nice guys, they're offering 50 bucks off their CEU course exclusively for Swallow Your Pride listeners. So, they have a bunch of upcoming live courses. There's one September 30th in Alexandria, Louisiana. There's one October 13th. There's actually two October 13th. I guess they're going to divide and conquer here, but... October 13th, one in Fort Worth, Texas, and one in Vegas, and then also October 20th in Oklahoma City. And then they also have dates still need to be confirmed, but they are having live courses coming up in Seattle, LA, Phoenix, San Diego, and Dallas. So I would totally highly recommend you guys get to a live course if you can. These guys are so fun, and they just make it really easy to understand this super complex info. Um, so if you're near any one of those cities, yeah, head to this course. But the cost of the live conference is usually $325, bucks, but $275 for Swallow Your Pride listeners. And if your facility does purchase the actual device, so the actual eSTEM unit costs $649 regularly. Your training will be further discounted down to 200 bucks. But if you can't get to a live course, they're also offering 50 bucks off their online course, which that's a course that I took and it's still, it's phenomenal, super entertaining and just 
like I said, it's a, this is a great course, but of course it will only cost you a hundred bucks. You can sit and watch it on your couch with a glass of wine and get 0.8 advanced CEUs. So also not going to lie, the training manual that comes with this course is really good too. I referred back to it so many times when I was studying for my BCS exam. Just it's a great anatomy review, cranial nerve review. Yeah, that manual is great as well. So go to swallowtherapy.com forward slash SYP to register for any of these courses. And also, if you just head over to their website, you guys, they have some really cool videos showing the e-STEM unit at work. And they also have a review of all the literature that they have to support their FDA cleared device and protocol. And yes, I am working on getting them on the podcast very, very soon. But anyways, go check out swallowtherapy.com forward slash SYP to check out their courses and sign up for this training. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.